Welcome. <clears throat> Welcome back. It's been a while. It's um, It's been a busy time, to be honest with you. And finding the time to just to get up here and even do any practice, to be honest with you, has been pretty tricky. Um, but sort of been trying to get back into a bit of a routine. Um, been lots going on, um, on and off. Um, it's been a funny time, a, a, a weird time in the world, um, but that's all by the by. Try not to make too many references to current affairs and um, geopolitics and viruses, um, but you know it's inevitable that they're kind of going to creep in slightly because they do um, they kind of affect the the vibe of. Um, of you know, of everyday things that we're doing, you know, so kind of sharing this archive of ongoing exploration and thoughts. It's inevitably something that's going to you know, change the kind of thought patterns or maybe slow things down a bit or uh, make things reflective in a different way, you know. Um, but yeah, it's been a busy time as well, so um, I've been doing quite a few gigs, which has been good, um, and with, the, with various different people. The, the main sort of body of it has been this uh, this friend of mine, Arun Ghosh, and um, it's been some really nice gigs with uh, sort of various different configurations, but the, the kind of heart and soul of it has been Arun's had this kind of new, new kind of quartet in North, which with me and Jamil, my boss, Jamie Sharif, and... Uh, at work and um, and old friend of mine of course and great piano player and Gavin Barris who I play in Gavin's band Family Tree which has not done much for the last couple of two or three or four years but uh, we made a really nice album a few years ago and uh, yeah it's been it's been great and then we've had um, we had a guest on um, I'm trying to remember now um, we had last night we did a gig in uh, Derby. Um, a guy called Marcus Joseph, alto player. Joseph is a lovely player, really nice, nice guy. Um, and it's been great having him as an addition. He did a gig at Matt and Friends in Manchester, which was a nice gig, sort of homecoming gig for for Arun and, and and sort of almost for all of us in a way. Well, me, you know, me myself certainly because it's you know Matt and Friends is somewhere I've been kind of involved in um, for a long time. And that was nice to do that gig, and it was a really successful gig. And on all the gigs have been mega. They've been very, very, uh, very successful. Very different. Very quite spiritual experiences. I have to be honest with you. Um, yeah, it's been great getting back into playing again and playing for audiences. And and uh, for me, it's felt like um, having spent. A lot of time in the last two years, like reflecting and um, practicing and kind of thinking a lot about how to be a little bit more kind of in control of things when I'm playing, really, and not get out of control. I, I, you know, I have felt the benefits of that and heard the benefits of that. Um, so I've just, you know, it's like the, the beginning of this is just to say to anybody out there who is um, you know practicing and feeling like they're kind of not getting anywhere or you know they're banging their head against a bit of a brick wall or whatever that feeling is you know the feeling we all have you know of does practicing really work the answer is is most obviously yes um but the, as the title of today's podcast um, is, is kind of an omni theme, really, because you know this thing of being efficient is you know if, if anybody's listened to any of the other episodes, especially dotted through when talking about sort of processes of practicing or learning or you know thinking about what one's doing or how one's doing whatever. There's always an underlying. Uh, like an underscore of that is about trying to find the most efficient way of doing things. And uh, and the thing that I always find fascinating when I'm practising it is that 
idea of like you practice something. I was practicing something yesterday. It's a very simple exercise, and it was just um, one of the things I'm really trying to get sort of get better at at the moment is is kind of levels of control and intent in the feet, you know, um, and being able to sort of to to play the feet more. Um, as in to feel like I'm like they're um, they're part of this uh, four way thing, and it's a you know it's it's a part of my playing which I've said many times in the past uh, I've negated to um, really deal with properly and and you know at fifty one years of age now um, the thing I refuse to give up on and it's been interesting as well because I started teaching somebody recently who's quite a lot older than me um and um and has played on and off for a long long time but it's it, even just having that you know having spending a little bit of time with this person over three or four weeks just seeing how even somebody you know a good number of years older than myself how somebody just practicing three or four simple exercises and looking at this kind of this 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 sort of dual system of of understanding the construction of rudiments and also the the benefits of basic coordination um exercises um just to see this the sort of improvement in somebody who you know uh, there's this kind of view and i don't know where this view really comes from um because there's a number of things I've heard in the last few years from different people in different from different sort of parts of uh, my life involved in my life that have kind of said things that are, that are to the contrary actually and and you know I think if you're older um, I mean just to put it in perspective I'm 51 you know so if you're you know a good number of years older than me I'd say to you don't believe that you can't change cognitively something. If you're, uh, if you have the information, you know, to to practice something that's that's basically a fundamentally good exercise and have some um, instruction or spend some little bit of time with somebody just to sort of talk through, you know, those exercises or whatever, um, because I I've seen the results of that and then in myself I've really seen the results of that. You know, I've been playing. So this, the, the the thing that I missed, which um, which was just was going to be in the intro to this podcast, and it feels like a bit of a moot point now because we missed missed the boat on it. So just a bit of my personal history with playing in 1980, Christmas 1981 or 82, if you like. Um, my um just trying to think make sure they've got the timeline of this correct actually I might need to even look at a diary look at a calendar uh go back in time quite a long time not not massively massively long time ago let's where where how do we do this now let's go back to um how do we fly back? February 2020, 19, 18, 20. Uh, how do we, how do we do? Oh, that's quite interesting. Oh, oh, we can do this thing. Whoa, 2006, 2001, 1989. Brilliant. Here we go. So if I go back to 82, I go back to September 82. Um, yeah, let me look at this now. Sorry, this is... This is really not um, very useful. Um, I'm just trying to work out when I started school, because um, this is the um, this is the thing about it. Eighty two, um, September eighty three. Does that be back in the year? Fourth year. Uh, maybe I'm a year out, you know. Just um, I'm not very good. I'm a bit. Um, I'm not going to use the common term of a bit, a bit dyslexic with dates, but um, I may be. Um, I may be premature with my 14th anniversary of playing. So this was the whole. Yeah, this is very boring. Sorry about this. Um, so basically, 
in this year, um, 82, I had my first drum bought for me. And, and I actually thought it was March 82 when my dad... Uh, my mum and dad bought me a snare drum when I was... Um, just after I was 12 years old, you know. Um, so, I mean, I'm 51. I must have been... Yeah, it must have been um, in this year. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a year premature. 51 now, so if, yeah... When I was 52 at Christmas, I opened a box and it had a snare drum and a little cymbal in it with a little sort of arm. And I played that thing. I mean, I played the crap out of it. Now, I'd... I'd so, in September, um, or, or, or was it maybe October of the same year, I had had this experience at school where I'd gone to this thing called... Um, Thing called percussion club or something, where basically there's this drum kit. And if you want to hear that story, go back right to the beginning of of these podcasts. I'm not going to tell that story again. But essentially, that was my first played the drums. But the first drum I actually owned was bought for me. Um, so it would be Christmas this year. So yeah, actually, um, yeah, this whole thing is a complete waste of time. Sorry, uh, I've got the wrong year, which is quite common for me. Uh, dates, I just struggle a bit with dates. But basically, nineteen eighty-two was the year I started playing the drums. So it's going to be forty years this year, and it'll be around October time, maybe even November. And then my first drum was Christmas, and then my first drum kit will be in a year, in March uh, 2023, from 83, um, was the first drum kit that I owned. My dad bought me this drum kit from a guy in the brass band called Tony Ramwell who had a Heyman, a gold Heyman kit with no bottom heads um, and uh, an animal, an animal, a natural skin, an animal skin on the photon, which was interesting. Learning, I was very lucky to have that on that drum because I kind of learned what that was all about. Because I've never had an animal skin on a drum since, and would not really know anything about that having having not if I'd not owned that drum. Um, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, this is it's a, my fortieth year, and so back to the actual topic of what I was talking about, this cognitive thing. It, it would be very easy for me to, um, or very easy for somebody else who I would kind of hold in higher regard in relation to knowledge and information, which is most other people, um, to believe if I was told that I. Um, it's all fixed now. My brain is fixed. It's all fixed. It's all as it is. There's, um, you know, that's it. We are as we are. And that is, uh, that isn't true. Um, number of stories that have confirmed that um, recently, in the last 12 months, 18 months. And um, and one of one of the stories, which was more of a physicality thing, more of a thing of a physical fitness, was, was somebody that I um, regularly had been going to for sports physio, and he's a, a very um, very very good guy called Jan, and uh, sadly he's he's kind of stopped doing it now because he's got a different job. But um, this guy was talking to me about regeneration of um, of of physique, of one's physique, you know. And, and he was saying that up to about the age of 74, one can regain pretty much peak physique. Uh, and after that, things do start to decline. Um, so, you know, if, if, you, if you're obese, and I was what was clusters uh, i mean this whole bmi thing it's all it all feels a bit fraudulent to me or feels a little bit of a cons not a conspiracy but it feels very kind of on the kind of um, the harsh end of the spectrum shall we say but i i would class myself at one point as being obese i think on the scale of obesity i was clinically obese um but i don't I didn't ever feel I was clinically obese. I was certainly not on. I was certainly not unfit, you know. Um, but I was overweight for sure. And and you know, as, as people that know me know, last year um, I got down to um, 
from uh, 17 stone, about 17 stone 4.5 down to 14.9 in, in, in about six months, you know, doing a methodical diet. And um, that was a little bit, I, di I didn't really enjoy being that weight. I felt, um, I, I've, I kind of, I've, I've enjoyed being a little bit heavier than that actually and I've kind of got, gone up a bit and feel a little bit more... Um, myself um, in, in in lots of ways um, but it's that thing of you know it's very easy for things to creep up very very easy especially when we're so busy you know when you're busy working and playing and then you're trying to catch food and you know um, the tendency sometimes if you're worried about you know putting weight on is to skip is to skip meals you know and that's not very good for you because then you end up with very low energy levels and you get these kind of dips and spikes and things and various different things in you but the the bottom line is if if one was able to get some sort of good rhythm going in life with 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 food and fitness i actually feel i could be fitter than i was when i was uh, in my early 20s you know i, I definitely feel that and, and part of that feels like it's a knowledge thing it's like a sort of a, a self-awareness thing a, a thing of of being this kind of different human cognitively, you know, in in the mind, uh, this kind of awareness of of the world and and of having more knowledge, and this same um, this same kind of thing came uh, in a conversation I had with a an old friend of mine, um, Max Beasley Junior, who's uh, who was I was at school with, and we, we've sort of, you know stayed friends on and off um, for a long long time, and. and um, I kind of have spoken recently, and uh, and he was he said something that was very interesting, just about that thing of of um, as one gets older, the brain becomes, you know, not more fixed but more kind of resolutory, you know, and 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 has this ability to sort of understand more, but yet feel more kind of resolved you know um which which is really interesting in relation to learning because you know you have this i, mean, I was talking to a, a student of mine a couple of days ago uh, was asking me some questions about about this thing of um and i get asked this a lot about this thing of you know as you learn something new you know the, the door opens and there's a hundred doors behind and again it's this idea of efficiency and about what one should practice um, and what does that mean? And is you know because by opening the door, does that mean that like oh no now I've got all these things to do? And it's and actually what I've kind of felt as I've practiced more and more with, with a specific goal in mind. Um, I mean, one of the analogies I said was saying to this uh, student, I said you know you know when when people have these these mind maps and they draw they draw a a topic in the middle and then they, you have all the arms going out in different directions because it's all different the different facets of this central topic you know if you're if we are practicing x then all these other things and i said it, it feels like the opposite to me as, as i've sort of um, practiced all these different elements um they all point back to the thing that i am only concerned with so it's the idea of, of kind of having that understanding about knowing what you need to work on, but finding the most efficient exercises to do that. And and bizarrely, that for me has come has come through practicing um, those exercises. And you, you start to really like look at okay, I'm doing this thing in the, between the left hand and the left foot whilst doing this thing with my right hand and my right foot. And then you kind of go, well, hold on a minute, what's the problem here? What's Where's the kind of rub? You know, where's the thing that's coordinationally finding it tricky? And you go, actually, it's just this moment within this subdivision. So this exercise I was doing yesterday, um, I can't play it for you, actually, because I'm not, not set up to play, really. But it, it was a thing where I'm playing, like, um, a straight feel in the right hand on a ride cymbal or on a hi-hat or whatever it can be on the desk or you know but it's ding da da dang crotchet two quavers just that pattern that dee dee da you could think of that as a quaver two semi quavers but i'm thinking of it as uh one two three four one two three four one two three four one two three four two uh, sorry i'm one two and three four and one 
Um, so I'm thinking of one, two, three, four, one, two, and three, four, and one, two, and three, four, and ting, tick a ting, tick a ting. Because I'm actually I'm actually thinking of it in a concert. One, tick a ding, tick a one. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Yeah, not that, not the double time thing at all. Um, so, and then I was playing this thing between the with the right foot, just playing on all four beats of the bar. And then actually. What I'd worked out was that the playing, I don't know if you can hear that, the, that sounds my left foot. I normally would have a hi-hat stand. But what I'd worked out was um, was playing that hi-hat on that two-hand and four-hand whilst doing the right-hand and doing the feathering thing in the bass drum, which is just four beats of the bar. And then playing a thing with the left hand, a minim thing in the left hand that's on one and three, which is actually quite awkward because it's not very groovy. Um, there's always that thing when you're practicing things, of certain things don't sound very or feel very nice to play because of the, the because they're kind of connected um, to things that are inherently nicer to play. Um, so. Uh, I always have this conversation with students when they first start practicing comping and, and the first exercise on the first page of of, uh, of this of this material that I use is just four crotchets in the bar in the left hand on the snare drum played at kind of mezzo piano dynamic. And the problem with that is it's just not a very nice thing to play, I don't think. I don't think it's something that is inherently something that we ever play. Uh, whereas all of the other patterns on that page are all interesting, but it's it's really fascinating that the students that really get that first one down, they really get very settled with that, just that crotchet feel in the left hand. Now, if you take it and just play it on one and three instead of one, two, three, and four, it becomes even more awkward and detached from anything that we would, I, well, I would normally play. You know, and it's that that thing in swing playing, for instance, people talk about the, the most unswinging beat of the bar is beat three, you know. It's very hard to get beat three to sound swingy. And uh, I think, you know, you feel like you're, you're, you're swinging on beat three. It's like you've cracked it, you know, which I always find kind of amusing. Um, but anyway, this exercise, I was doing all this other thing and I actually realised that the problem was just that, you know. The problem was just that. So if you think about that process, there's, there's two things that could have gone on there. One is that I could have gone to you know, have a lesson with somebody and they could have given me that exercise and uh, paid my money and uh, and that would have been you know an entirely efficient process, but you're paying for the efficiency. Or the route I've taken is I've gone for a lesson with somebody and paid them money to practice something that was connected to the the original exercise I was practicing. And I actually, through my own system, my own initiative and my own thinking and thought process, have kind of realised that the more efficient exercise, just to get to the kind of heart and soul of the problem, is actually this exercise. But I've... I've come to that conclusion myself. I haven't had somebody tell me that. And and I think the value in that for me is far greater than somebody just telling you, you know, something to do. Um, so it's kind of interesting what this, what this thing of efficiency is, you know. Um, what what it really means to be efficient, you know. What what does that what does that word actually mean? What does it what does it? If you're thinking about that in yourself, I'd just ask yourself what you really want to get out of that um, of that process. If you're trying to be more efficient, you know, and just remembering all the time that like what you're practicing is is the kind of heart and soul of what you do. So therefore. Um, it, it's just a job of work that we do that keeps us kind of healthy and fit on the instrument. You know, keeps us keeps us at the instrument. Um, and a lot of the time, it, it, it's not stuff we we take to the bandstand. You know, it's not stuff we take to the music that we play. It, it's just 
a way of keeping ourselves mentally and physically fit at the instrument so that when we are faced with being asked to play things that are, you know, whatever they are, we can play them in, in the best way. And, and, and part of that thing is about is about keeping really in control, you know. And uh, the, the big the big thing for me still is is, uh, you know, having reflected just like I was playing last night and I had a couple of solos. It was quite funny, actually, because I had like a couple of a short solo on a tune which kind of um, was shortened for me by the band leader, you know, and that's that's fine. And then I had a longer solo at the end where I was kind of left to my own devices and I kind of felt like early on like I got into some stuff and was slightly overstretching myself. Because um, sometimes, I don't know if you have this, but I get into an idea that ah, I wish I hadn't got into that, you know, oh, that idea is a bit tricky or it's it's a bit awkward or it's just kind of, you know, in the moment is maybe not quite where my head is or or sometimes it's just a thing of, of playing something that I actually can play but because in the moment I'm sort of uh, not quite, not quite getting what it is, you know, um, I have that you know often not 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 that often but sometimes i kind of go oh, God, why, am I, why am i finding that hard to play you know it should be really easy and, and a lot of that's just oh he's an overthinking thing you know um and then this 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 is kind of idea of the muscle memory thing and what that really means and how much we want to rely on muscle memory and how much we want to be able to you know kind of get beyond uh muscle memory in a way you know uh what I mean by beyond muscle memory is not be kind of bound by um, only being able to sort of begin and end these things in a certain way. Um, it's kind of fascinating, all that kind of stuff. And that's why it's great, you know, obviously to not bring things that you practice to the bandstand, you know. You can always hear people when they're playing, when they there's a thing that they're doing which is just sounds like it's come straight off the page in the practice room and then he's like he's now being sort of regurgitated on the bandstand i think sometimes when you're doing like maybe jam sessions or some or you know or you know if you're practicing uh, in a rehearsal situation then that's that's a different thing but like performing you know um and i mean i suppose you know a lot of what i'm all I talk about in these things is connected to the, you know, the kind of way that I play and the music that I play, which has, it often has connections to jazz and improvised music. So there is always that caveat. And I know that maybe, you know, some drummers that listen to this maybe don't play that kind of music and maybe don't relate to anything that I'm saying, which is fine, you know. I find it hard half the time to relate to what I'm saying. But... Um, the, this idea of uh, playing in the moment, you know, and, and not playing the same thing every time. Whereas, obviously, you know, sometimes when we're playing, like, you know, when I'm working with songwriters and, and performing with them, that, that it's a completely different discipline. It's more, it's kind of closer to playing classical music in some ways because you're, what you're, what you're doing is your the focus is about delivering a specific architecture within a song, you know, so which you know, I've talked about many times <coughs> in the past on you know on on, on this um in this thing anyway but um but so part of this you know the, the the cognitive thing there is about is about relaxation it's about you know having um having that ability to really f be concentrate and uh, stay focused because you know that's a big part of um, it's a big part of the whole equation. And again, back to this efficiency thing, you know, if you're practising in an efficient way, it, I think it does lead to um, good sort of... Um, good levels of focus and concentration and the right kind of focus. Because, you know, this is... This is uh, sometimes you see people that are so focused and really, really kind of like... They're just like concentrating so hard, but they're, they're kind of... The relaxation isn't there because of because of 
the, the 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 thing of the tension of like I must concentrate. You know, the whole thing is kind of in that premise of like oh, I must be really focused. I must not think of anything else. Whereas sometimes, you know, being in the moment in certain situations is almost like not paying attention at all in some ways. It's that weird kind of thing. And if you've ever experienced that, where sometimes you know, you're playing. I've listened back to myself when I've been playing and uh, some of the best times are when I've really not been um, that focused when I've been playing. I've not been not paying attention, but, you know, anyone that knows me knows that I kind of... I I do believe um, that we hear a lot subconsciously. We really do hear a lot subconsciously. I mean, I think that's pretty kind of proven in lots of other kind of areas of, um, you know, sort of audiology and 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 then especially with things like hypnosis and stuff like that. That that um, what we're hearing all the time, you know. I mean, like now I'm talking and I'm looking out. I'm sort of looking out the window today, and it's kind of quite nice. Uh, a few birds flying about and things and. It's a nice view, but I can hear this pigeon constantly cooing behind me. I think it's on the roof, you know, and I'm not paying really any attention to the pigeon, but if I sort of stop for a second, I realise that I've been listening to this pigeon for the last 15 minutes, you know, but I've not had a thought about the pigeon at all. And so it's that kind of thing of in music, if you're playing music with people, there's the pigeon again. Now I'm thinking about the pigeon. You probably can't hear it, but you might be able to. I'm not quite sure how sensitive this mic really is, but um, there's a lot of wildlife, <laughs> a lot of wildlife going on around me. Lots of cats and um, birds and stuff, bits and bobs of things. But when you're playing music and you're in the moment, in that environment, which is probably where your attention's going to be, even if you're not really focusing, you're going to be hearing a lot you know, a lot that you're probably not even thinking about, you know, while you're playing. Um, And that's, um, I think that's a good thing, you know, I think that's, it's a good thing to sort of, I don't know, to maybe realise that, that that's going on, you know. It was, it was, it was something that I kind of came to realise and sort of just acknowledge a bit more a a number of years ago, you know, and it kind of felt like it, it sort of helped and so when I was, you know, back to this thing of again of practicing and efficiency, I think a lot of the time I was, when I was practicing, I was thinking, oh, I need to make sure I'm paying attention to all these things, and I sort of realised in time that, no, maybe I don't need to pay attention to those things unless it's unless it, it's been asked of me, you know, and um, and there's lots of situations I still play in where you know there's moments in the music where things are demanded of me in order to you know to be kind of focused and to be uh, very active in relation to uh, being aware of what's going on in the music and maybe being being someone that's directing something or you know having to know what a tempo is from my head or some you know all those kind of things you've got to obviously have systems in place or I've practiced all the experience to know what to do in that situation you know I was playing a gig a couple of weeks ago a sight reading gig and it was a hard gig you know um uh for me and it's just that thing of reading big band charts with a big band and it was a real scratch band uh it's a band that I play in but the band was 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 a real scratch band because a lot of people weren't available for the gig and uh second to last tune the band leader shouted over to me Oh, you, you know the you know the tempo of the original because it was um, Stevie Wonder, isn't she lovely? You know, and just in that moment, I was like looking at this. There's this kind of Colavoce intro with a there's a piano or guitar or something. I can't remember. And then and I was like looking at the score. It was like just that siren thing. You turn the next page over, bang, and then whatever's talking about the music, and then whoever it is is counting and beginning the music, and it's just happening now as I'm to- as I'm talking now. It's all happening now, now, now. You know. And I was looking at the score, and it said, "Drum fill pickup," which is the you know, and then we're into the tune. So it's just like a a bar of triplets for everybody. And the band leader shouted over to me whilst the guitar or the piano was, oh, you know the original tempo, don't you? 
and it was like suddenly like oh yeah do i know the original tempo and i'm thinking all this is going on as this eight bars of colavoce is happening and the guitar or the piano is playing this vibe and then i sort of came in and i was like in the moment of playing i was like is this the right tempo you know um and i actually think i don't know i think it maybe was a little bit fast it was just it's just that thing of like oh it's happening now you know and the more the more we do this stuff then obviously um the better it is and, and and that experience of doing it you know helps us in those moments make better decisions you know but um the thing of being efficient with practicing um I don't kind of know whether there is a, a way of practicing that, you know, um, practicing for that. Um, because, you know, you're not going to know that you're going to play that song, for instance, uh, even though I've played that song. In fact, I played that song recently um, on a gig, on a kind of function gig thing. It was kind of pulled out. And, um, and, so, so luckily, I, I did have a kind of reference point, but um, but anyway, I sort of digress slightly. But yeah, so I I would just yeah, I'd just think about what this efficiency thing means to you, you know, in in relation to um, what you practice and how you practice. Because um, it's yeah, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, because it's a time thing as well. So, you know, essentially what one is trying to work out is how much time can I put into, um, you know, can I put into this thing? How much time have I got to put into this thing? If you don't have loads of time. So that may be a reason for being efficient. Uh, but it may not be the only reason. One of the simple reasons is you might just need to maybe be looking at what you're practicing and just asking the question you might, you might have loads of time to practice for instance and you may feel like oh you know i'm just sort of ambling along and i'm you know i'm practicing every day and uh you know i'm putting loads of time in um but actually am i really putting you know the right kind of time into these exercises I, I, do i need to Am I, I, you know, do I need to practice this much to get as uh, to get the same results, for instance? Or if I want to practice this much, is there much more that I could do with the time? You know, so I go back and look at what you're practicing, and because um, I've definitely felt the benefits of of just sort of stripping back exercises. You know, and just looking at these little moments, these little where the where the where the, the little as as uh, great drummer Asaf Circus said, you know, the the moments of tension within a, within a kind of line or a kind of timeline of rhythm. There are moments of tension where things are awkward, and you know the. Um, the kind of goal is to eradicate those moments of tension so it all feels relaxed, you know. And um, as I, you know, as I practice exercises, and, uh, and I, I've definitely talked about this before, but I'm, I'm always looking for those moments, you know. I'm always looking for... Um, is that the moment? Is that the moment? No, that's okay. Ah, oh, that's definitely ah. Oh, that moment is really awkward. Oh yeah, that that. So actually, if I just work on that, um, then I'm eradicating that moment of tension, and therefore, when I go back to playing in the bigger picture, that moment of tension doesn't exist anymore. Uh, I mean, there's still something to be said for getting in and out of those moments because, you know, the the, the thing of resolving tension, uh, one, of, one of the things I've noticed when I've been practicing these left foot clave exercises is I noticed that I, I was really stripping back the amount of information I was trying to deal with. So I was going to... Um, I was approaching uh, practicing it some of it with a continual 
patterns between the left hand and the right foot whilst playing the time and the, and the, and the, the left foot bembe thing just to get more fluid with um, essentially you know triplets between the left hand and right foot we're starting with the left hand or starting with the right foot things like that another similar patterns like like two triplets left 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 right you know things like just just those kind of things but in in, in a continual pattern so on all four beats of the bar a lot of the stuff in the art of bop drumming of uh, comp four those kind of patterns are happening just on one beat and then the next beat is another thing or sometimes it's the same thing on on the next beat you know or whatever but it's an ever-changing kind of landscape and um and so I, I kind of gone out in and out of this thing of thinking oh you know actually what feels what continually feels awkward is these specific parts of the bar where I'm doing this specific thing. So I decided to just spend some time practicing that specific thing in an isolated exercise, which is not written on the page. It's just an exercise again that I've invented because of these moments of tension. And and then um, the thing that I noticed though was going back, I was able to then play the bar or the two-bar phrase, well. But once repeating it and then repeating it again, it would start to... The tension or the lack of concentration would start to come in. So it was, you know, it's that thing of, uh, would I have got there quicker if I'd just practised that and gone round and round? Or, or no, it's just a matter of now bedding it in because it's it's the playing into and out of those awkward moments now which needs to be kind of resolved um but essentially at the end of the day all all the exercises are are practicing things and this is what's most important i think is is practicing things that you can't play you know it's definitely um it's not great to just play things that you can already play or practice things in inverted commas you can already play you know as eric harlan puts it you beat it into the ground you know and uh, it's very true that thing because you can almost you know you can almost unlearn or un un unlove actually the things that you can play well you know by by just constantly practicing them you know why do you need to practice something that you can play you know you, you don't you need to practice things you can't play so all these kind of musings that I'm sharing now which is all kind of you know. Sounds like the rantings of a of someone who's essentially insane. Um, it's just this ever kind of um, ever changing or ever questioning approach to finding the best way to practice. You know, uh, and and it's different for everybody because we're all different, aren't we? But even if you're just to go back and consider how you're doing things. Um, even if it reconfirms that you're doing things in the best way, you know. Um, I think it's just it's just good to have that kind of level of awareness and just occasionally shake, give it a shake up, you know. Give it a kind of give it a bit of a kick up the up the backside, as they say, and say, are there any other ways I can do this? Are there any is there any better way that I could look at this? Um, so that yeah, that's been kind of pre preoccupying the thoughts a lot, and then you know, and and uh, so yeah, the, the the I mean, it's been I think it's been five weeks since my last um, the last episode actually. I was looking today, twenty seventh of February. So it's been a while, and um, so yeah, it's been you know busy busy gigging. Um, been doing this. Uh, this kind of broke it's a tour but it's kind of broken up it's not all in one go but there was a couple of legs which were four five a week um and then they've been broken now they're all broken up over weekends up until the beginning of may so um a few bits and bobs which has been which has been great which has been really nice um to to get out there and get playing and uh really feel some benefits of, of the practice that i've been doing over the last couple of years and um but also been playing yeah with some with some other people doing a couple of other sort of regular little gigs and a couple more of those coming up soon 
which should be nice. Um, and then the other, the other sort of main thing that's been kind of preoccupying is recording as well. I was supposed to go away a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, and that got cancelled because of the dreaded COVID. Um, but that's rescheduled for this coming week, Tuesday morning, I'll be leaving and going off to do some recording. And I also did some recording with a couple of old friends of mine making this album. Been sort of involved in that in a little bit more than just the drums, but it was really nice to go and track some drums with the sonar and take the 13 and 14 floor toms. And, um, yeah, I felt kind of really comfortable in the studio with the click and stuff and with the styles and... Um, a really nice bass player, Ollie Collins, as well, who I've played with for a long, long time. I've not played with a lot, actually, in the last few years, but we played a lot years and years ago, and it was great to to record with him and um, really just... It's quite interesting, just this feeling of feeling very relaxed with the click and feeling this kind of ability to sort of... There was a, there was a tune, it was like a kind of sambri thing. I've been doing quite a lot of work on this uh, Maracatu thing and, and uh, a couple of other samba things, quite a lot of work in the shed uh, over the last three or four months. Um, and also just been really trying to work on... Um, having like a central pulse that's in time on the grid and, and being able to have the hands really playing in front of or behind the grid in a very intended way, you know, it's a kind of double positive in an intended way. Um, and, yeah, it was really interesting recording this this samba tune because it was a really slow tempo. And I, and I know that if I'd have recorded that tune... Um, I'd say even 12 months ago, I'd have found it really hard to um, to play with the click, really with the click, and be really, really behind the click and be able to sort of play, be just basically playing with it, you know. I, I, I don't mean just playing along with it, I mean playing with it, as in, you know, being playful with it. Um and uh yeah it felt like a really really nice moment that you know um because it's definitely something that's improved for me over the last few years because i've been working a lot with a metronome in more creative ways um so again you know don't don't let anybody ever talk you out of improving any of these core skills at any age because you know, I, I, you know, I, it's not, it's not true. It's not fair, and it's a weird kind of, you know, controlling thing. I don't know if it's a thing out of fear. You know, this sort of society thing. If you think about the, the biggest society, you know, we're such an ageist society. And as I get older, I have to say, it's becoming apparent to me that that feels, it feels like it, like it. There is an element of that within, um, within you know, society. And, you know, part of me is like, well, you know, the young guns, the young players, the young lions, as they say, um, the energy, you know, that's where the energy comes from. It's absolutely true. That's absolutely right. It's one of the reasons why I teach, you know, I want to, as I get older, share and not lose. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I do this, you know, whether anybody cares or not or listens it is irrelevant. It's just the fact that it will always exist now. And also, if you teach somebody and you, you share your experience, it will always exist because, you know, uh, well, it will always exist because that person will obviously won't live forever, but they, the that idea will be shared. If you get a chance to share it with, with a number of people, then the chances of them sharing a, a you know, a minute or, 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 or an element of that with other people um, means that the energy, even the energy of it exists uh, and stays. But, um, but yeah, doing, doing this podcast, this archive has, has definitely been uh, one of the reasons why, why I started doing it. Um, 
just like I've said before, in, in it was in reaction to, um, you know, to the sort of end of my father's life, you know, and, and just thinking about what that meant. Um, and, you know, within that kind of grief and within that reflection, just thinking about how one can um, just archive what one's done, you know, and, and have it somewhere so it's not kind of gone forever. Um, so, yeah, so, th so there's a sort of thing with, you know, anyway, you know, this thing about sort of being older is that inevitably you become out of vogue, you know, and therefore um, trying to stay on top of or being hip, for instance, whatever that means. I was never hip anyway. I mean, there may be a period in the late, 90s when they're doing the drum and bass thing where some of the music I was playing was you know possibly hip but me as an individual you know my, and then self-image and stuff is like it's just no not hip at all you know just really quite geeky and square and strange but it, within you know within all that there's the, the the love of playing has always been so it's always just been about the playing really so it, it's kind of always been difficult for me to sort of think beyond that and as you get older you know um people tend to to stereotype you and pigeonhole you more and more and more and they forget they forget what you can do you know and uh, it's been really nice for me to feel like i've got better at certain things that i've been doing for a long time and then being going back to playing with certain people and reminding people um I'm still here, you know, I can still play and I can still bring something uh, to a situation and bring a lot of experience, you know. Um, and you've got to be careful as you get older. Your confidence doesn't get knocked by that, by the ageist thing. Um, because I've seen that in other parts of society with people where they, you know, they're in a certain kind of industry and, and then they get, you know, they just, they just get the wrong kind of person at the wrong time, making the wrong kind of comment about where they're at because of their age, and then it makes them start to question things, and then things start to unravel, you know, in a very negative way. And one of the great things about practicing your instrument and having kind of faith in that process and checking in with good people and also teaching good people, I feel very lucky to be in a process that's constantly... Um, evaluating or, or, or in, um, I don't want to use the word comparison because it's not a comparative thing. It's, it's quite a negative word in a way. It's just that thing of, you know, when you're in this world of, of having very, very good students, but also having studied with someone who's very good and, and being around having peers that are very good, you know, there's a, so many, so many positives in that, 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 Actually, the, 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 this society, this control within society of, of this sort of like, you can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, all that bullshit. It's bullshit. It really is. Don't believe the bullshit. Um, you know, I've, we're very lucky, I think, in this music thing, and anybody who's listening to this is in it, so it's kind of preaching to a choir in a way, but I don't know if you've got people around you that are not in our industry and... Uh, have been maybe talked out of being, you know, as as good and as worthwhile as they are, is to remind them that I think it's very important, you know. Um, I always like to try and find uh, a message for every episode, really, just a little message of positivity that people can maybe share, you know. I'd, um, that's one of the the most important things about this archive, you know, only just to remind myself within my own neurosis and negativity, the inevitable that we all battle against being creative people and all that stuff. You know, we just want to be loved. I just want to be loved. You know, that's the that's the kind of joke, isn't it? Um, but it's about, you know, just that thing of, of just wanting to be um wanting to be accepted and wanting to be used for what you know what, what one's trained years to be good at you know 
to bring something good and just you know to bypass all the bullshit and nonsense which we get and all the, you know these weird weird stuff that goes on within music and um, you know people are strange aren't they they're a bit controlly and a bit odd you know and um, if you work hard practice good things practice efficiently keep the faith you know um have a spiritual relationship and i don't mean religious by the way i'm not a religious person as people know but i'm definitely a spiritual person um have a you know a good spiritual connection and, and uh, relationship with your music and have a i don't know a good moral compass i think you know i think morals is the is um is the thing at the moment you know it's a thing that in the world the wider world that is something that i don't know whether the human race is really starting to come to terms with being the thing that connects us all you know um those two elements a moral compass and and a, and a spiritual connection to what we do you know uh, and and obviously to each other and a moral you know a moral compass to each other which is having a good sense of um you know what um, feels value what's what's of value to you and, and what and, and what value do you bring to the people around you and the people that you work with and all that stuff and you know and feeling valued so it's making sure that you're having you know good relationships with people that you play with and feel like you're being valued you know and yeah i think that in you know in the middle of um this strange and confusing world we live in sometimes having just this little these moments of um going back to the practice room and looking at what you're working on and being efficient with it and uh, questioning it in a in a positive way even maybe just reaffirming that what you're doing is right um give yourself time to um, to do that i think you know uh, don't feel pressurized and certainly don't let anybody talk you into this thing of you can't teach yourself something new you know you can't um, you can't reorder those um, that neural network you can't have an impact on the plasticity of the brain the mind because you can um, so yeah I think that's kind of it really I think I'm sort of gibbered on for nearly an hour i think uh it's probably enough time but yeah it's um nice to be back anyway i'm gonna have a i think a little bit more time now over the next few months to to be a bit more regular with the episodes i hope um i've got a couple of really nice interviews in the pipeline um one of which has been in the pipeline since before Christmas, and I just uh, and again I had no time to follow up, and that's all my doing. But the the and that hopefully I'm going to try and get that done in the next month or so, and that's a really really interesting. That'll be a really interesting interview. It's a very valuable, very important part of my playing life, and a very different set of people that I used to play with, and, and a very very important person within the Manchester music scene. Um, someone I was very lucky to play with for, for a long time and someone I've got a massive amount of respect for um, I'm not going to say who it is but um, um, someone who really knows a lot about drums uh, knows a lot about music but knows a lot about drums and knows really what he, what he really loves to hear in drums and it's a very interesting person um, and also um, yeah hopefully next this next week when I'm away I'm hoping to get an interview with um, with a really great sound engineer, I've got a lot of respect for, and who's uh, again, I think the drummer's friend. I call him. I definitely think of him as someone. If you ever get a chance to record at this guy's place, and uh, I'll tell you more about that when uh, when I hopefully do this interview, which I've been asking him to do for about a year, and he's he's a shy, kind of shy chap, I think, um, in some ways. You know, he's a very interesting guy, uh, a lot more interesting than he thinks he is. <laughs> so that I'm hoping that's going to happen um, this coming week. 
So there's a few things on the in the pipeline as well, apart from my usual wittering nonsense. So um, yeah, so fingers crossed, all that kind of comes uh, comes together in the next kind of um, few weeks. So um, yeah, keep positive, keep playing, keep practicing. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll be back again soon. So bye for now.